Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and we're going to have a wonderful hour. Beverly Canaris is my guest in studio, and as you know, she's a regular guest that just loves God's Word, and that's what we do. We open it, and we look at it, and we are praying that God will open our minds so that we may see wonderful things in His Word today. But we're going to talk about the book of James today. It's a great book, and it's a great book to focus on this year. Uh, as we begin a new year, I don't know what your Bible plan is, what your study plans are, but I hope you have them, and I hope you can uh, execute them, because there's nothing besides the Word of God. There's nothing else out there for us except God's Word. So let's take a 60-second break, and we'll start with Beverly Canaris in just a minute. Faith Radio is so much more than just radio. We are a multimedia ministry encouraging people to connect faith to life every day through a variety of platforms. Now, you may have been driving, captivated by a Faith Radio interview, but not able to listen to it all because you had an appointment. Or maybe you had an extra busy day and you missed your favorite show. Well, thankfully, you can go back and listen to any of our programs in their entirety at MyFaithRadio.com by clicking on Podcasts. You can also download the free Faith Radio app to listen to any past programs or check out the live stream. Just search for Faith Radio in iTunes or Google Play. And for Alexa and Amazon Echo devices, just say Enable Faith Radio. Then say Play Faith Radio to listen to the live stream. Use your connected device to stay encouraged and equipped every day through Faith Radio. Beverly Canaris is in studio, and she is a frequent guest, and she taught Bible study fellowship for over 30 years, and also is a mentor and a Bible teacher, and just loves to be in God's Word and loves to share it. And Bev, when you were teaching BSF, what was the, the lady group size week after week? Um, it ranged anywhere, depending on the years. There, it, it went from 450... Uh, maybe all the way up to 750 wow. at some points. That's huge. Mm-hmm. And that felt like a full-time job, didn't it? Just prepping and getting ready for... Yep, a little bit more. <laughs> a little bit more than full-time. <laughs> it, did. it did. It was a tremendous responsibility, but also a great privilege, one of the greatest privileges of my life. Oh, so yeah. I'm th- so thankful for it. And my family is very blessed for it. I mean, I raised three children in the, the midst of all that business. Yeah. And um, uh, he, he was very faithful. But think how many people, how many women came to faith in Christ through that ministry. I, I know. It's amazing because when you open God's Word, and that's what we're going to do today, when you open God's Word, people are changed. It doesn't happen because I come up with a clever quote or a fun way to present it or, you know, right. a good speaker, whatever, whatever. No, no. It is God's Word, and it transforms you. And, you know, when we get people in 
Bible study, we like to keep them there for a while. And it does take time in God's Word in order to be transformed. And we saw lots of lives transformed. Women would come in with their arms crossed like, oh, yeah, right. right. What do you got for me? And then pretty soon the arms are down at their side. And pretty soon they're leaning forward, listening. Next thing I know, they're crying in the back row, <laughs> trying to hide because yeah. they're so moved by it. Right. So it's just the work of the Lord in their heart. It's so powerful. We're going to talk about the book of James today. So let's, uh, let's learn what we can in this hour we have together. Uh, tell us about James. Well, um, first of all, it's, it's a favorite book to many. Uh, uh-huh. Many people have memorized the whole book. I, am, I have not. Um, a lot of people have, though. I know one of my sons was challenged to memorize the whole book. I think it's a great book to read this time of year as we're thinking about, where do I want my life to go in the next year? Um, it's a very short book. It's towards the end of the Bible. Uh, there's only five chapters in it, and they're all rather short. So three or four pages of reading which is nothing, just take a look at that in your Bibles. Find where that Bible went and open it up and read the book of James. There's been some discussion about the authorship. You would think there would be none with the name James on the letter itself, but there were three James in the New Testament, and most say that this is James, the brother of Jesus, and I agree with that. John 7, 5 said even his brothers did not believe in him. So at at most of Jesus's earthly ministry, uh, James, who wrote this, did not believe his brother was the Messiah. Isn't nuts? Isn't it? Yeah, he didn't come to faith until after the resurrection. Right, right. You're right, Bill. Good. You know your Bible. Um, It was the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 7 says that he appeared separately to James. Can you imagine that reunion? That's just amazing. And how moved it was? Um, James ended up being the leader of the Jerusalem church. He played a crucial part in the early decisions that the church was making. He was also described as a pillar of the church, James. Uh, Tradition records that James was martyred for his faith, thrown down from the temple, and then beaten to death. Wow. Yeah, sobering. Tradition also tells us, though, that he was a man of prayer and prayed so much he had knees as hard as camels. I, I love that description. He spent so much time in prayer, and that is one of my um, goals this year is really to um, learn more about prayer, and it really sent me to the book of James to want to study it more because he has a lot to say about prayer, and he was a man who, who did pray, and so we've got something to learn from him. Camel's knees. Camel's knees. Yeah. Can you picture it? I can't. I need can, some Aveeno lotion or something. I can something. <laughs> okay, so what's some general things that we need to know about James before we dive in? Well, James was written to the dispersion. That just means that there were Jews who were not living in the area of Israel. They were living scattered among the other nations, and so they were referred to as the dispersion. So they would have been far away from the central church and from the beginnings of the Christian faith. And so James is writing here to help him to get up to speed, you might say, with the things of faith. Um, He also wrote because they were suffering a lot of persecution and really needed some additional teachings on how to live the Christian life. There's a lot of similarities here between the Sermon on the Mount and the book of James. So when people try to discount James, um, they have to deal with these same topics in the Sermon on the Mount. There was apparently a disconnect happening between what they confessed, these people in the dispersion, and how they lived. Did you know, Bill, in this book there are 50 imperatives, in other words, 50 commands, 
uh, that's a lot. I wonder if we could go through it and read it and even make a list. Someone has described the book as Christianity with its sleeves rolled up. Wow. I like that. I like that too. Uh-huh. And, and, or a practical guide to living the Christian faith. Or faith in action. Uh, right living is the evidence and result of faith. Uh, another one describes it as God's word is not merely something we read or think about, but something we do. In other, in other words, I think it's really a book written to fight against and guard against hypocrisy. And that can happen so easily in our lives. We not only put on the mask and maybe fool others, and that's what hypocrisy means, putting on a mask, doing a performance. We're kind of performing Christians, but in our heart and in the reality of obeying God and knowing his word and obeying it, there's a disconnect. And that's what I think was happening with these people that James was writing to. That would be pretty convicting for many listeners right now. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a common issue. It really is. And, and that's why that James me. is, well, we all can feel guilty in that, Bill. Mm-hmm. We all can because we know we're, we're living beyond what we know to be true. We're, we're, we're not measuring up to what we know is the truth or what we should be obeying. James wanted his readers to mature in their faith, to grow more Christ-like in order to, in greater measure, have this abundant life. Christ promised. It's through obedience and understanding God and who he is and what he has asked of us. This is how we grow. Their growing maturity would also lead them to be a better witness to those around them. But here's his theme. He sets in verse 4. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. So James wanted his readers to be mature, to be growing in their faith. And, you know, Hebrews would agree with this. When I turn to Hebrews 5, um, whoever wrote Hebrews, that debate is still out. Mm-hmm. Um, listen to this. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. So there is a process here. It's called sanctification, where we are to move along in our Christian faith. It's, it's not just, well, receiving Christ, I got my ticket. Now I can just go live how I want. That, that's not a sincere confession at all, because now we start to live for another. My life has been crucified, and I no longer live. It's Christ who lives in me, lives in me now. So, Bev, if the goal is to be mature, and we feel like... Well, how do we know when we're there? Who can admit that I'm really mature in Christ? Well, if you did, you wouldn't be there. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's helpful to know. Yes, it's just like the thing with um, being humble. Yes. If you know you're humble, then you're prideful. Exactly. You know, it's it's kind of a catch twenty two situation. People I know. There you go. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Let me take a little break. Beverly Canaris is in the studio. We're talking about the Book of James and loving it. Let's just take ninety seconds and be right back.
Welcome back to the show. Beverly Canaris is in studio. We're talking about the book of James and loving it. Um, we do want to be, become mature in Christ. And I wonder if maturity, maturity, is it maturity or maturity? Which, which one is it? I would say go for either one. Okay, good. Do you think it's something that uh, people are more likely to observe in you than for you to recognize yourself? Like, whoa, I'm really mature in Christ. Versus having other yeah. people say, boy, the way you've lived your life the last Yes, I do. Although years. Paul, the Apostle Paul did say, you know, to follow his example. Yeah, it's true. So I, I think you can have a certain degree of self-awareness that you're yes. not what you used to be. Right, that's a good point. But you have not arrived and will not arrive until you see him face to face and are transformed into his image. Okay, good. Made complete. All right. Yeah, that's the good news. That's the good news. We shouldn't dis- get discouraged in the journey to maturity. Mm-hmm. We, we need to be um, pressing on and persevering. And that's that's really where James starts here is talking about persevering. Um, but maybe you're like me. You you want to grow more. You want your relationship with God to be a closer walk this year. Always. I think, always. Always. Always I want more of him. I want to be more aware of who he is, how he's intersecting into my life how I can intersect more with him, how I can walk in greater obedience, how I can serve others better. I want to know all this and I want to be growing in these areas. I want to become, I want those fruits of the spirit to mature in me. I I, I want to demonstrate the wisdom of God. Um, so that's that's one of um, James's goals here is this spiritual maturity. Um, James is just the book for us to start our new year. James is meat. That passage I just read out of Hebrews says, you can only stand milk. You're still babies. Mm -hmm. But James, people, it's meat. So we're going to get some real meat here in James that should cause us to get some real faith muscle. (laughs) Yeah, and not to offend the vegans, right? Oh, you know that? Well, I hope they can appreciate the analogy anyway. (laughs) James is really going to uncover our hypocrisies and help us to live more of a genuine Christian life that glorifies God. So we only have a short time today, so we'll see how far we get in the book, maybe just a chapter or two. But it's worth taking our time a little bit and going through it carefully. Like I said, we want to be chewing on this book, not just racing through it. So he starts out in chapter one talking about our attitude towards trials, which is an interesting place to start. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Wow. I I don't know about you, but that's a shocking start. Mm -hmm. Count it all joy. Count it all joy. Mm -hmm. Well, you don't have to count the the trial, the heartache, the loss as as a a joy. But what the fruit that that produces in our lives can be the joy part. Mm -hmm. That can be the part where we can see how God used it and and used it well in our life and the lives of other people. So what James is really saying here, he's pointing out of all the good that God can accomplish through our trials. And also the reason we can be uh, pure joy in trials is that he provides for us in those trials. And that is a precious part of having a relationship with Christ, walking through him in some of these deep, darkest days. So many people this day are going through such hard, dark things. You're not alone. And Christ has a bigger plan behind that trial. And he's going to provide for you in that trial. So that is, that, that is pure joy. 
the trial itself, I don't know that we have to celebrate it. You know, it hurts. It's hard. Um, But we can be confident in the outcome of the trial. We can lean into the trial rather than to resist him and to not um, lean on him in the trial, but to turn away that we will miss the blessings of that trial. But the resistance of trials, having that resistance in our life, not everything's perfect, really helps us to grow. Remember, we're talking about how you mature. Just like soil for a seed, like I could take a pack of seeds, Bill, put it on the counter, throw it on the counter, and just say, okay, grow. What do I have to do? I have to bury it. Mm -hmm. Bury it. And then it sprouts and bears fruit. I once heard a young woman describe at her father's funeral who had MS and spent many years in a wheelchair, that that wheelchair was like the dirt that was put upon him, but he used it to sprout beautiful things from his life. He, he treasured the Bible. He taught others in the nursing home that he was at. He had a beautiful gift for art that he did very carefully because of his MS. So, and he said, I, he himself said, I thank God for my MS. I would have never been the person I am now. What a beautiful perspective. Isn't that a beautiful perspective? But I love that picture of that seed having to resist the dirt in order to get the growth. It's, it really does picture our lives so many times. So what does God give and provide for us? Um, well, he, he helps us to learn how to persevere. And, you know, if you don't learn how to persevere in your faith, with his help, of course, you're not going to continue on. You're not going to mature. What I love here is his promise for wisdom. It's ours for the asking. Verse 5. We're still in this first chapter. So rich. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable. And all they do, not a pretty picture there, is it? But the, the thing here to me is God is really encouraging us. Ask for wisdom. And so often in, the, in our trials, especially, we need it daily, especially in our trials, we need wisdom. But we have to ask for it in faith. We need wisdom to get through these trials. We need to see the trials from his eternal perspective and then how we can say there is joy in these trials, seeing it from his perspective. It also says here that he gives wisdom generously. You know, sometimes we picture God as being pretty stingy. He is not stingy, is he? No, not at all. He's a super generous God. He's a father that wants to give every good gift to his children. And wisdom is one of them. And it says without finding fault. What does that mean that he gives without finding fault? Well, God does not frown on our asking. Just like I would never frown on one of my grandchildren coming up and asking me for a cookie. I look both ways for the parent, and I always say, sure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He is thrilled to have us want his wisdom so that we can be helped. We can pour out our needs and ask him for his wisdom, and we will receive it. And you know how much he gives it? How much he gives? What does the scripture say? Generously. Mm -hmm. I love that word. Generously. Yeah, great word. Isn't it? Mm -hmm. So... I just figure he's going to give me wisdom. He's going to give me even more than I asked, which is always true. This is a request also here promised is that we can be sure of getting. It will be given you. That's a promise. This is powerful. Yeah. Who doesn't need wisdom every day of their life? 
uh, Paul and I were talking, my husband Paul and I were talking on New Year's Eve. I said, honey, you know, what's your resolution this year? And he goes, oh, I'm just asking God for wisdom. I thought, wow, that is so good. That is so good. Um, I asked permission I could share that. He said, yeah, I asked that last year too. <laughs> I, I just think that is a profound thing to just to be seeking God this year to start off be seeking his wisdom. And he is a wise man. And then it says that we're to ask without doubting. Um, Keep in mind, you know, the mustard seed faith. It doesn't have to be, I have to have this, you know, huge mature faith in order to ask without doubting. It just means if you're asking, you're not doubting. You're asking. That shows something right there. That shows faith. So ask for it. In trials, we can think, oh, God's not good. God doesn't care. I think this doubting is not so much believing or not believing what God can do. Rather, I think he he pulls it out even further in that passage where he says, you shouldn't be double-minded. So double-minded, wanting to hear God's opinion, but ultimately, you may take his as a little input, one opinion, you're going to do what you want to do. That's being double-minded. And I am guilty of that at times, Mm -hmm. you know, because I want to do it my way. Then down in verse 13, uh, more talk here about some trials. He says, when tempted, no one should say God is tempting me for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin when it is full blown gives birth to death. So in our trials and temptations, it's not uncommon for people to blame God. I think, you know, ultimately we we understand his power and his control, his sovereignty over all things. And so when things don't go the way we wish, you know, when things go the way of this world and and break our hearts and we suffer the losses, um, it's it's hard not to shake a fist at God. But I love this quote. This really helped me understand a little bit more about these trials. And it's this, God tests people for good. He does not tempt people for evil. And he always provides a way out Mm -hmm. when we find ourselves in that situation. So realize God is not tempting us. It is the sin in us that's causing us to want to rebel against God, do our own thing. God will never try to get us to sin or will he ever destroy our faith. God is good remind ourselves of that Mm -hmm. every day. God is good. It's so simple, but it's so profound. And it affects every area of my being to say that God is good. Well, the word, the Bible really causes us to grow too. In verse 21 here in the first chapter, it talks about the word of God being implanted and we are to humbly accept it. You know, there's nothing like the word of God to mature our faith. However, there was a problem. And he goes into this great illustration of a mirror mm, when think, we think about the Word of God. I think we might have to talk about that on the other side of the break, Bev. Perfect. The mirror. So we'll come back to the mirror illustration. Beverly Canaris is my guest in the studio. We're having a great time in the book of James. So uh, we'll be back in 90 seconds. Make sure you got your Bible out and open to the book of James. We're still in chapter 1. We're at verse 21 right now. So lots more to come. We'll be right back.
Larson on Faith Radio. We are in the book of James and loving it. Beverly Canaris is my guest, and we are in chapter one. Right now, we're still hovering around verse 21, and you've got an illustration, Bev, about the mirror. Yeah, James is good with his illustrations. I, I really love the way he writes here. Um, he's talking about this problem. Um, one of the problems why they, these people were not maturing was because they were not they were they were maybe listening to the word, they were maybe reading it, but they were not doing what it says. So listen to what he says to them. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forget what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law, that would be the word of God, that gives freedom, and that's true where we get freedom. If obedience to the word of God is freedom. Anyway, I'll go on here and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it. They will be blessed in what they do. So that to me is just a great illustration. While the mirror in our bathroom reflects the outside of us, um, the mirror of God's word really helps us to reflect on what's going on inside. And that's more needed Mm -hmm. than even the daily check in the mirror. Mirrors can comfort and they can make us better, but it also shows us areas that need attention, correct? You know, gee, I need a haircut. Oh, what is that on my cheek, right? Uh Um, But the Bible does too, but not on the outside. It shows us what needs some attention on the inside of us. Interaction with the Word of God is to be an active thing. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is active and alive, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So obedience, uh, this active, not only hearing, listening, studying, looking, we should do something about it. In other words, if you look in the mirror and you've got this big splotch of soot from your candle all over your face, you wouldn't just walk away and forget that it was there. And so God is saying, this is how we're to look at the Bible. It, as it shows us our inner attitudes and our obedience, we're to, to do something about it. There's an active obedience that needs to happen. John Calvin said, obedience is the mother of true knowledge of God. You want to know God better? You know, ask him to help you obey. Jesus said in Luke eleven twenty eight, blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. And then again in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commands. So I wonder, are we reading it or we're hearing it? You're hearing it right now. Um, When you come across something that you just kind of feel a little poke inside, that's something God wants to show you about you in the word, maybe write that verse down. And then right on the spot there, you could do this as you read the Bible on a regular basis. I'm hoping you're reading it daily. That's the blessing, but that you might even write down uh, several ways that you could obey that command right there, right when you're thinking of it. Take it with you into the day. Help God to remind you, ask him to remind you of this obedience step for that day. Obedience really is where the battle against hypocrisy is won or lost. Obedience. To tie this chapter one all together kind of with one central thought or principle Maybe it could be this. God's wisdom will give us God's perspective. God's wisdom will give us God's perspective on ourselves, on our trials, um, on so many things. 
Uh, so where might we be immature? What's our attitude towards trials? Are we seeking heavenly wisdom? Do we need to mature in our obedience? Obedience is loving God. So ask ourselves, are we students of God's Word? Maybe even have a lot of knowledge, you know? I've got 30 years of teaching God's Word. How's my obedience? That's a bigger question. Our obedience must follow our profession, or our faith is very shallow. We're living as hypocrites behind the mask of Christianity. Sobering. Mm. Well, James is a book that calls us to genuine faith in Christ that results in changed lives. That's what he was looking for in his listeners. Where are you changed? Are you different? How deep is your faith? Are you maturing? Um, What is this new year going to look like for all of us? What's one thing you want to have greater obedience in? For me, I just feel challenged in this area of prayer. I want to go deeper. I want to know more about it. I want to have more experience with it. And so that, that is my focus this year for obedience. Finally, chapter 2. Now, chapter 2 really started with the last chapter of chapter 1. If I was putting the, the markers, I would have asked that to, be, to go on a verse, uh, chapter 2. It says here on um, verse 27, Religion that our God and our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the, from the world. So James goes on to describe a scene here. So he's first of all saying faith needs action and it needs actions toward people in need. So he says that's a great way to demonstrate your faith, a great way to take it from hypocrisy to reality is by helping widows and orphans, people who can't help for themselves. So love that, and that is a good reminder for us there, too. Maybe that could be one of your goals this year. And then he starts in verse in chapter 2, in the first few verses here, he goes on to describe a scene in a local church where the people were saying to the rich people, come on in here, have the seat up front, it's all for you. And then somebody poor comes in, poorly dressed, obviously poor. They say, sit over here on the floor behind me back there. Um, when that kind of favoritism happens, we have discriminated and we become the judges. And verse 4 says it's evil thinking. James reminds us the people that it was, those these rich people are those who actually were persecuting them. Um, so remember that, that those who were in power were the very ones that they had been having struggles with. The point is this, and it's really found in the 8th verse. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. So what he's really saying here is we are to be merciful, to obey this royal law, which is love your neighbor as yourself. I love it that they call it the Mm -hmm. royal law. It really helps focus on the importance of it. We can see ourselves as better than others, can't we? So easily. Um, We can see certain types of people as below us. We can favor the rich and famous and those who make us look good. You know, what do we want to do when we see a famous person? Have our picture taken with them. How about with a down and outer? You want to jump out of the car and take your picture with the guy begging on the side of the street? Probably not. Mm -hmm. Probably not. Um, This is not the love of God. And here's a truth we can take from this. God is impartial. All people have equal value in his eyes. Every person you meet, Christ died for them. So just keep that in mind, you know, as we meet these people. um, 
It's important to treat people. A good, really, you want to have a test to see how if you're treating people equally? Sure. Is, here's some tests. How do you treat service people? Mm-hmm. You ever see people treat service people terribly? That's I do. so embarrassing. I, I, yeah. I don't it want to go out to dinner me. with them again. Yeah. Um, Unless they buy. Uh, maybe then. Yeah. Uh, do you look away or smile and maybe engage with the stranger that maybe is different from you? I had an experience. I was out at the mall this week, and a, a gal who was obviously Muslim, dressed in her dress, she was doing some dusting and stuff, and she looked at me, and she looked at me for a while, and you know what I did? I, I'm confessing. I turned away, and, and later I thought, I told myself years ago I would always smile, mm-hmm. always smile back. Um, but that's, you know, I felt a little uncomfortable. You know, are we friends with any people very different from us? Have we ever cared for those who have nothing to give us in return? Now, Bill, I know you do a lot at the Salvation Army. There's a lot of people there in that particular situation. So that really is loving all people as to who Christ died for them and seeing that value in each life. So that's a beautiful thing. I know you don't want to be recognized, but just thought I'd throw that in there. Okay. (laughs) Um, You know, Jesus was criticized for who he hung out with. Right? I know. Got, got a lot of heat for that. Uh, publicans and sinners. But Jesus came to save not those who thought they were great, important, whatever, religious. He came to save the down and outers. So I think that's a good attitude to keep in mind as we exercise our faith. In verse 10, every person is very important to God. So we, we just read that. I, I'm sorry, in verse 8 and 9. Now in verse 10, This is such a central truth to the teaching of the gospel. Listen up. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. So what does that say and how does that relate to the gospel? Well, the truth there is, is that you've sinned, I've sinned, we've all sinned. Even if we have only sinned and broken just one of the commandments, just one itty-bitty, okay, itty-bitty lie there, or an itty-bitty lie. No, no, the Bible says, once you've, not only are we born sinners, but we are sinners in practice, in that once we, once we break one sin, we are in that category. And, of course, that puts all of us in the same category and in the, having the same need, then, for Jesus Christ for his forgiveness for the blood of the cross that was shed on our behalf so we could be forgiven and restored to God. So that is a very important verse to know where that is in James 2 because we can rationalize it. We can say, well, look, Ten Commandments, you know, I've got about six of them, okay? Six is over half. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, but here, no, James is really bringing it back home to the truth. Just like, you know, you can't put one drop of poison in a glass of water and drink it. It's, It's that one drop is going to pollute the whole thing. Now, the last half of chapter 2 is perhaps um, debated most about from this book. It goes into this debate of, is it faith or faith plus works? And then does this contradict the Apostle Paul's writing in Romans, where he writes in chapter 1, it's a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Well, let's look into this a little bit. Let's, let's look at what is, uh, James is saying here. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. If one says to them, go in peace, keep warm, well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? 
In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. So this was the debate. This was a very big deal. Um, and uh, people are still debating this, actually. He goes into some examples here afterwards. He talks about Abraham, how his offering of Isaac, he was being obedient to God and demonstrating faith through that action. Rahab, another one he calls out, was uh, her hiding of the spies was a way that she revealed her faith, that she had true faith. So in other words, and here's a truth we can take from this, the fruit of faith is deeds, not the root. The root of faith is that it's God's gift. So I think what I need to do is turn to Ephesians 2. And this is, again, a key passage for us to understand this conflict between uh, works and faith. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourself. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no man can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do. So this is saying it's a gift. Faith is a gift we receive from God, and then we take that gift and we put it to work. It, then he equips us then to do the good works. We are not saved by works. That is the, the fruit of work, of faith. The mature understand that they have no righteousness on their own. We show our faith. We show that we have this gift of faith from God, by what we do each day. And Jesus even said, you're going to know if they're of the faith or not by their fruit. Mm-hmm. So the fruit is the works. It's not the, the root of, the, of what the gift that God has given us. It's just that if it's, if it's a good root of faith, it's going to show certain things. It's going to f- produce certain fruit. So we show the gift of faith by what we do each day. Um, so I wonder, is there evidence in your life to convict you of real faith? Has our faith? brought about changes in our behavior? Is there obedience to God's word in the way we love and care for others especially? It's a new year, so it's a wonderful thing to um, look and say, you know, is there deeds there? Is there fruit? Examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Mm-hmm. We'll uh, take a short break and be back with Beverly Canaris in just a minute. Talking about the book of James today with Beverly Canaris. She's a retired teacher from Bible Study Fellowship, over 30 years of leading that flock. And uh, Bev, I'm looking at James chapter 3. This is where it gets uh, talking about the tongue. Uh oh. Uh oh. Uh oh. We all kind of go uh oh when it comes to the tongue. We all know we're guilty of careless words, of hurtful words, hard to control. Can I just say chapter 3, verse 8? But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Mm. Well. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. He's very graphic in his description, <laughs> yeah, no isn't kidding. he? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, he started off the chapter, chapter 3, with by saying, you know, a lot of you want to be teachers, but really not a lot of you should want to be teachers because with a teaching responsibility comes greater accountability before God. Now, that kind of gives me a great deal of pause in my life. Um, 
in chapter one, James has already given us some great teaching on the use of the tongue. So let me just go back to that a little bit here to show you how this was really on his mind, where he said, um, uh, let me get back to James here. Sorry. He says in verse 19, everyone should be quick to listen. This is such good advice. Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And then in verse 26, he wrote, this is chapter one, we're going backwards a little bit. Those who consider themselves religious, yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Wow, he uses some strong terms here when it comes to the tongue. We see so many illustrations here in chapter 3 about the power of the tongue. We're going to highlight three important truths or principles about the tongue from this. He illustrates by pointing out that bits in an animal's mouth cause them to obey, and a little rudder on a big sailboat cause them and direct them, even though those two things are very small. So the principle really is words can change the course of our lives, can't they? Mm-hmm. When you know, when you hear that God loves you and has died for you, that changes your life. When you hear someone say, I love you, my kids always refer to that as the I love you bomb, you know, so powerful. Mm -hmm. Um, Will you marry me? Powerful. You're so talented at those words. Or, which almost every person in jail has had a parent say to them, you're going to end up in jail. (laughs) The power of words. Mm -hmm. Or the Bible, you will die in your sins by refusing to receive Christ. Powerful, life-changing words. The Lord needs to be in control of the horse's mouth, and that's me. And he needs to be the rudder on the boat. Uh, I love Psalm 141, where it says, set a guard over my mouth. You know how often I pray that? Constantly. Mm Mm-hmm. I always try to pray that before I come and speak. God, set a a guard over my mouth. I mean, it's kind of like a live cannon. We're doing a live radio show here, people. You know, set a guard over my mouth. Oh, we need to have that. What if you started out every day saying, God, set a guard over my mouth? The tongue is a very small part of our bodies, but James goes on to compare our tongues to a spark that can set a whole forest on fire. And then he says, all kinds of animals can be tamed, but the tongue is restless, full of evil, deadly poison. Another principle about the tongue here is the tongue has power to destroy. I remember when I was growing up, my mother called me a name. And I still remember it. I can see where I was. I still, I I felt like my heart turned to ice and, and just shattered on the floor. It was so shattering. But a power of a word and a negative word can stay with you a very long time. Mm -hmm. Name calling, and I think a lot of the young people who have all this name calling going on back and forth, evil. I tell you, that is where the tongue really reveals itself as evil. Because you're uh, labeling people, you're putting them in a box, a mold, and it's hard for that person not to believe you, even though you don't want to believe it. But something happens in your heart. Could it be true? So name-calling, not good. Our tongues often reveal our hypocrisy. We've talked a lot about hypocrisy. We can praise God with our tongues and then turn around and curse people made in his image. 
The next principle about the tongue is this. The tongue reveals what's in the heart. It's not a problem with this little muscle. It's really what's in our heart. The tongue problem reveals a heart problem. So now remember the theme of the entire book. It's always good to kind of go back to that, is to mature in our faith. So where might we be immature in the use of our tongue? Maybe we're great at work, but we get home and we say hurtful things to those who we love most. Do we make excuses for our gush of words? You know, well, they deserved it. And, you know, I had just come to the end of it and I needed to speak my mind and I just have this kind of a temperament or whatever. How about the person who talks too much? (laughs) There's a great Proverbs for them. He who talks much will not lack for sin. Think about that. If you are an incessant talker, I love the t-shirt. I've seen it. It says, help me. I can't stop talking. I, I, I can't shut up. Something to that effect. And I think, I know people like this. They will not stop talking. So there's danger in that. There is danger in that. You will not lack for sin. So what can we do? Well, I think that early verse in James helped us. Pause, wait, pray, respond, don't react. (laughs) Or write it out in an email, but don't press send. Mm -hmm. Sit on it for a while. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Don't react, but act. Ask the help of the Holy Spirit. Ask yourself, will this build up or tear down? Will these words honor God and the Savior I claim? You know, a good counter of uh, attitudes to have is one of gratefulness, as you think about what you're going to say, and one of self-awareness. I think a lot of people who have very little self-awareness make a lot of speaking mistakes. Mm-hmm. They're unaware. They're, they only feel what they feel. They're not aware of people around them. And so they say things that can be very hurtful. Well, James chapter 3 ends with a great description of wisdom. And this is really God's wisdom here as he speaks about it. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Now, our sinful nature, above that, he said, where you have envy, selfish ambition, you find every disorder and every evil practice. So those things won't bear that fruit of righteousness. But the wisdom of God, here again, is why we need to seek his wisdom. As we reflect on our words, do they reflect wisdom from God? It's a good checklist for us. If our words reflect his wisdom, they will have these characteristics. But if we see bitterness, pride, envy, selfish ambition... All are traits of a heart and in tongue acting out, really, their sinful, sinful nature. So which wisdom are we demonstrating? Are we going on our own wisdom or are we seeking God? And then let's talk about the tongue. How does your tongue need to mature? Can't do it without the Lord's help. There's no controlling that wild beast (laughs) without the control of the Holy Spirit, Mm -hmm. asking the Holy Spirit to set a guard on our mouth in all that we say and do. So, Bill, that's James. What do you think of this I book? love it. I love it. I was thinking of, uh, you know, the comment you made about people who talk too much. And my friend uh, Paula Poundstone's got one of my favorite jokes in her act is that her mom talks nonstop, but she is getting help. She's going to a support group called On and On and On. <laughs> that's hysterical. That funny? <laughs> that's funny. That's funny, but it's sad, too, <laughs> you know? Oh, goodness. <clears throat> But, Bev, I know you're going to be out of town for a while, so thank you so much for uh, coming in and doing the show. 
this My is pleasure. a powerful this is a powerful book and there's so much meat in it like you said mm-hmm. and don't we want to be mature in Christ isn't that our goal it is it um, really and is can this be an ambitious goal that we all have this year absolutely absolutely yeah. do you think that honors God does yeah. it glorify God yeah. does it do us good will it help others around us I think it passes the test yeah and and to uh, to take what your husband Paul said is that I'm just looking for God's wisdom that is that's spot on. Isn't it spot on? Yeah, it really is. Because so that's what him. we all want, we God's do. wisdom. Well, you've heard God's word today, so you can't unhear it, which is good news for us. Uh, thanks for listening to Faith Radio, and thanks, uh, Beverly, for coming in. I'll see you again in, uh, I don't know, a month and a half or so? February. February. Awesome. So uh, if you missed any of today's show, it's a great Bible study. Go to MyFaithRadio.com and go to the show page, Afternoons With Me, and you can hear it from the beginning. You can hit it hear it uh, in its entirety so don't don't miss it maybe you've got a friend who needs some spiritual maturity you could send the link to them and pass it on to them and give them a chance to hear it as well but thank you for uh, being with me today and thank you for supporting faith radio and um, you know i'm always grateful i'm never tired of being grateful so thank you and i hope you have a great night and i hope your week is going well i'm excited for tomorrow's show uh it's going to be great as well this is what i try to do every day is just put on the the best uh, God-focused, God-oriented, centered material I can, I can find. That's what I do. All right, we'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.